You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the TaxSmart REI podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be making the case that short-term rental hours do indeed count towards the real estate professional status. So if you're a longtime listener, you may have heard us say in the past that they do not count, but I have a very, very compelling case today, and you're going to want to make sure you stick around to the end of this episode so you hear the full story. So we're going to dive into all of that in just one moment after a quick word from our sponsor. Are you a limited partner investing in real estate syndication and funds? Then Tax Strategy Foundation for Limited Partners will change everything for you. Navigating the intricate landscape of jargon, legal documents, and taxes can often feel like deciphering a complex code. But Tax Strategy Foundation for LPs has been meticulously crafted to be your guiding light, empowering you with the knowledge and tools that you need to make informed decisions and lock the full potential of your investments. Led by partnership tax expert Caitlin Deaver, who has extensive experience with real estate syndication and fund tax issues, this course distinguishes down years of knowledge into digestible, actionable insights. She breaks down common terminology and how you can interpret operating agreements, PPMs, federal and state K-1s, and much more. Don't let confusion or uncertainty hold you back from realizing the full potential of your investments and get ready to embark on the journey towards financial clarity, savvy decision-making, and a stronger, more secure investment future. You can enroll in Tax Strategy Foundation today by visiting www.taxmartinvestors.com slash limited partners. Oh yes, I almost forgot. Kaylin will be hosting an exclusive live Q&A for students on September 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. This is your opportunity to get your questions answered by the tax expert herself. Again, you can enroll in this course today by visiting www.taxmartinvestors.com slash limited partners. We'll see you there, but for right now, we'll jump right into today's episode. So before we just jump right into the episode, I just want to address the elephant in the room. I know there's a lot of listeners out there, a lot of people out there in the TaxSmart investors community who are just getting plain old sick of short-term rentals. And uh, believe it or not, I'm getting sick of them too. So while I can't guarantee you this is going to be the last short-term rental episode, I think that would be going too far. I would definitely be focusing more on other topics going forward. However, this one topic in particular, I've been waiting so long to get this off my chest, and now I finally feel like this is the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean, we're getting sick of short-term rentals because everybody's promoting them nonstop, right? Right. You see it all over TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn, just everywhere. But still doesn't negate the fact that it is a great way to reduce taxes. So just want to put that out there, right? It's definitely all getting a little a little sick of it from a marketing perspective, right. but right. Uh, but don't overlook it if you are looking for ways to reduce your tax burden and you're already buying single family homes. Don't buy short term rentals just for taxes. Go back to last week's episode where I probably I went on a 15, 20 minute rant about it, whatever. But this episode is going to be cool because this is a unique thing that I don't think I've seen anybody talk about. Yeah, no, for sure. And like Brent said, totally viable strategy, but it, it's just getting a little stale from we're talking about it just way too much. But do have a very interesting topic today. So I'll kind of get into the story a little bit as we go on how I uncovered this or uh, came across this conclusion. We recently had an article published in the Journal of Taxation by Thomson Reuters 
uh, that I co-authored with a gentleman named Robert Barnett, who's a brilliant tax attorney. I want to give a shout out to Robert for co-authoring the article with me as well as uh, ultimately helping get it published. So Robert, if you're listening out there, I uh, really appreciate it. For everybody who might be following us for a very long time, you probably heard us say that short-term rental hours do not qualify towards the real estate professional status. And for a while, you know, while we disagreed with that, we had no other choice but just to throw our hands in the air and say, well, the tax court has made its peace and it and it is what it is. For new listeners who might not quite understand what we're diving into, let me give you just a quick recap of the short-term rental loophole and kind of the history. It'll be very brief. Okay. So as we know, all rental activities are passive by default under Section 469. However, under the regulations, there are exceptions to the definition of rental activity. And those definitions, there's a bunch of them. I think there's a handful of them. But the two most relevant are if your property has an average period of customer use of seven days or less, or your property has an average period of customer use of 30 days or less, and you provide significant or substantial services, as they're sometimes referred to, in other words, hotel-like services to your guests then they are not considered rental activities for the purposes of Section 469. In other words, you do not need to qualify as a real estate professional to basically take losses against your active income with short-term rentals. All you have to do is materially participate because they're pretty much a business. And now, that's why it's called a loophole because since you don't have to spend more time in real estate than anywhere else, you can do this while still working a full-time job, earning a full income, running a business. Whereas you can't qualify as a real estate professional and run a business full-time or work a full-time job. Right, right. And I also want to kind of add why these rules were in place, who they were intended for, right? They're intended for hotels and motels, right? Back in the 80s, when these rules were written, I'm sure the, the people who wrote the laws did not foresee Airbnb making the ability to rent out a single-family house, you know, your typical single-family house on a short-term basis, a reality in the way that it is today. So these rules were written for hotels. So that's the short-term rental loophole, right? Now, for everybody out there who might be wondering about the real estate professional status. The real estate professional status allows you to take losses against your rental properties, uh, against your non-passive income. Basically, it turns the losses from your rental activities non-passive if you spend more than 750 hours and more than half your total working time in a real property trade or business. And materially participate. And materially participate in your rental activities. Very important key part. So where do these things come and cross over, right? A lot of people probably think, well, a short-term rental business is certainly a real property trader business because after all, you're renting real property. So how can it not be a real property trader business? Well, uh, the tax courts beg to differ. So uh, over the years, there's been some people who've uh, tried to qualify for the real estate professional status and put their short-term rental hours, the hours they spent on their short-term rentals, into that bucket to qualify, right? And uh, the tax court case... The first one, Bruce Bailey uh, versus Commissioner, that was in 2001, very important date to remember here, basically said the tax court found that because it was not a rental activity, because the average period of customer use was seven days or less, it is thus not a rental activity for the purposes of the real estate professional status and thus can't count towards the real estate professional status. The hours were excluded. And without those hours, the taxpayer did not have enough hours to meet this hourly requirement and lost the case. There was then a subsequent case by a, uh, we always say this, but a separate Todd and Pamela Bailey. And that was in 2011, another important date where that tax court case referenced the original tax court case. And that, uh, and the same kind of a similar outcome happened. Uh, they excluded the short-term rental hours from the real estate professional status. The taxpayer did not qualify. So 
that's kind of the premise we're looking this through, right? The tax court said that short-term rental hours, because they're not rental activities, do not qualify as a real property share business. Now, something important to note in both these cases is no one ever tried to make the argument, well, okay, sure, short-term rentals may not be a quote-unquote rental activity, but what about a real property operation? What about one of these other real property trades or businesses? There's 11 real property trades or businesses, right? And so the tax court basically said, because there's this exclusion in the 469 regs for short-term rentals, and because that exclusion effectively says that they are not rental activities, then these short-term rentals cannot qualify as real estate professional status hours because real estate professional status hours is only looking at rental activities. At least that was their understanding. But that's not actually what they're looking at, right? Real estate professional status is looking at what? The real estate professional status is looking at do you spend 750 hours in real property trades or businesses in which you materially participate? Like Brendan said before, there's 11 of them. I'm not going to go through all 11 of them, but it's pretty much construction, reconstruction, or maybe I will, development, redevelopment, leasing, property management, brokerage, real property operations, and rental activities, right? I think that might be 11 there. I might have missed one, but that's pretty much, those are real property trades or businesses. And they're looking at, do you materially participate in these businesses? And if you do, you can count those hours towards that 750 hour hourly requirement. Can we go over the significance of that real quick? So who this would potentially help would be like if I'm a high income earner and my spouse, we have a large rental portfolio. Maybe we have like 10 properties and we have one short term rental and my spouse is managing the portfolio. The 10 long term rentals that we have are pretty passive. My spouse is only spending five hours a week managing all of those. But the short term rental we're self-managing and that's much more of a lift. Maybe that gets me in my 10 hours a week. So the significance is that I could materially participate in my short-term rental, the one short-term rental, my spouse could, and the one short-term rental today at least is considered non-passive, but the other 10 properties that we have would still be considered passive. At least that's what the two tax court cases were ruling. So if I can count my short-term rental hours, or if my spouse can count her short-term rental hours towards real estate professional status, then my spouse is not only materially participating on the short-term rentals, but she's also a real estate professional and materially participating in the other 10 rentals. So the entire portfolio is non-passive, right? So what's happening is, or what, in, in well, I guess, yeah, it's still what is happening because we didn't change anything. We're just pointing something out. Uh, but what's happening is my spouse, we could have a big portfolio and my spouse might not have enough hours to qualify as a real estate professional on the big portfolio. But if you add the short-term rental hours in, all of a sudden you do have enough hours to qualify as a real estate professional. So that's the issue at play is I already have a portfolio or I'm building a portfolio and I want my short-term rental hours to count towards real estate professional status, but the tax court has ruled that they do not. Right, right. And that made no sense. And we didn't necessarily agree with that. But the task court, you know, they said what they said, and we have to, you know, kind of go with what they said, at least for now, right? So, you know, very interestingly, somebody had asked me, I forgot if it was in the Tax Smart Insiders group or the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group. The last year, someone asked a question, can property managers who manage short-term rentals qualify for reps for the real estate professional status? That was really an intriguing question because I'm like, they are managing real property, right? But if short-term rentals don't qualify as real property trades or businesses, does a property manager who manages those, can they qualify? 
So I really got to digging in that night. It was like a late night. I, I think it was like 7 p.m. after hours. And I ended up going to like 10 o'clock on this just because I couldn't stop until I found this. So interesting, I came across the final regulations for the business interest expense limits. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what those are, I'll be very brief what they are. So um, basically, if you're a syndicate or a fund and you have a certain amount of your capital, if I'm not mistaken, raised from limited partners, basically you're capped at the amount of interest that you can take on that investment unless you make an election out of it. And within that, there was a lot of confusion by tax professionals and taxpayers alike on what actually qualified as a real property trader business, because that's kind of what this entire thing was centered around. So the final regulations, uh, which were finalized in January 2021, actually amended regulation section 1.469-9, which is where a lot of the regulations for the real estate professional status could be found. So they amended a few things, including the definition of real property. So let's go ahead and take a look at the definition of real property. It's the first thing we're going to take a look at. You can find this under section 1.469-9BID2. And it says, buildings include the following assets if permanently affixed to land. Okay. Houses, townhouses, apartments, condominiums, hotels, motels, stadiums, arenas, shopping malls, factories, and office buildings, warehouses, barns, enclosed garages, enclosed transportation stations, and terminals, and stores. Okay. Let me back Why up. Why is that important? This is important because under the first part of this, 1.469-9BI, they define real property. Okay. They define what real property is. Real property includes land, buildings, and other inherently permanent structures that are permanently affixed to land. So that's real property. Then further on in this section, what I just read, defines buildings. And again, buildings are real property as defined under real property. And these include the houses, townhouses, apartments, condominiums, hotels, and motels. Now, when we're dealing with short-term rentals, at least most short-term rentals that we're talking about here in context are typically houses, townhouses, apartments, or condominiums. And again, I want to just note that hotels and motels are also included. Okay. And then if we scroll down to real property operation, okay, now this is important because we already found out here that the typical short-term rentals in question are defined as real property. So they count as real property. Remember, we're talking about real property trades or businesses. Now, underneath the regulations, they define a real property operation, which again is one of the 11 real property trades or businesses. And it goes on to say that real property used or held out for use by customers where the payments received from customers are principally for the customer's use of real property are included under the definition of real property operation. Now, when you go to a short-term rental property, what are you paying for? So that's the question. What are you paying for? You're paying for the use of the real property. You're paying to open the door and presumably stay within that short-term rental property, the house, the condominium, the uh, townhouse, whatever it might be. And when you're doing that, you're paying principally for that. All the amenities that are there, they're incidental, quote unquote, incidental to the use of that real property. You're not going to the short-term rental to go use the pool. Yeah, sure. You might choose one short-term rental over another because of the pool, but you wouldn't be there in the first place if it wasn't for the fact that you were staying at that short-term rental. So I think we could all agree here that when you go rent out a property in Airbnb, what you're paying for is the use of that real property. And then to make it even more clear as if they didn't have to make it more clear than that, there's actually an example within the same code section that actually makes this even more clear, okay? And this example includes a hotel. The, the example is proving that a hotel, the reason for the hotels, what you're paying for when you go to a hotel is not the amenities, not the services from the hotel. You're paying for the use of that hotel, the real property. So 
goes on to say that even though uh, the personal services that were provided, like the substantial services, in other words, to the customers of his hotel were significant personal services, the principal purposes of the hotel's business operations is the provision of the hotel's rooms and suites, in other words, the real property, to customers. And anything that like basically is provided is incidental. It actually goes on to say right here that the provision of these significant personal services to the customers is incidental to the customer's use of the hotel's real property. Accordingly, the taxpayer in question here is treated as owning an interest in a real property trader business for the purposes of section 469C7 cap C, and that is the real estate professional status. So basically it's saying that despite the fact that the hotel is providing substantial services, the customers are ultimately paying for the use of the real property and therefore it is a real property trader business. And when you're going, again, we've already covered this here on this podcast today, that when you are renting out a short-term rental, the payments are principally for the use of the short-term rental's real property. So therefore, if a hotel is considered a real property trader business, so should a short-term rental. Okay. So that was a lot. (laughs) I have a hard time following that. All right. Can you summarize this for our other listeners who I'm sure are also having a hard time following this? Summarize this very succinctly. Okay, very succinctly. The final regulations for the business interest limitations, which were finalized in January 2021. Remember these other cases where the short-term rentals were found not to be real property shares or business took place in 2001. Before 2021. Before 2021, exactly. Okay, now these regulations amended section 1.469-9, okay, and updated the definition of real property, which includes hotels, motels, condominiums, houses, townhouses. We went through that. Okay. So it's real property. And these are the same types of structures used for short-term rentals. It then goes on to say that a real property operation is basically defined as an operation where the principal payments by the customers are for the use of real property. And when you go and you rent out a short-term rental, you are paying for the use of real property, okay? And then there's an example, okay? Then there's an example, and the example says that with the hotel, despite the fact that substantial services were provided, doesn't matter. The principal use of the payments for the hotel is for the use of the hotel's real property. So it's saying that a hotel is considered a real property trader business, and hotels and short-term rentals are very much in the same business line, right? So therefore... Short-term rentals, as we all know them today, do indeed qualify as a real property trader business. Okay, so so we've just walked people through the fact that real property definition was changed in 2021. Right. And that's significant because that happened after these two Bailey tax court cases. Right. And because of that change or or because of the update, short-term rentals are now considered or would be, would fit into the definition of real property trader business. That is significant because a real estate professional has to spend 750 hours and more time in real property trades or businesses in which they materially participate in order to qualify as a real estate professional. All right. Now, if you qualify as a real estate professional, then the passive activity rules do not apply to your rental activities. So we're using like a lot of different words because I think if if we have anybody technical listening to this, they're probably going to go to section 469 and they're going to say, well, passive activity loss rules say rental activity, like it only applies to rental activities. 
but you really got to go look at the definition of real estate professional status because real estate professional status is not citing rental activities, right? The definition of real estate professional status is 750 hours and more time in real property trades or businesses. Right. And if you qualify, then the passive activity loss rules say real estate professionals get to skip over the passive activity loss rules as it pertains to their rental activities. So the short-term rentals won't even matter at that point. They're just helping you qualify to even get to that point, if that makes sense. Right. To give a very clear example, right? Say you spent 600 hours on your long-term rentals, right? Congratulations, you're still not a real estate professional. Remember, 750 hours is the minimum. But let's say you spent 200 hours on your short-term rentals, right? You materially participated because you met maybe the 100 hours plus more than anybody else's test. Congratulations. So now you you materially participated in your short-term rental business, 200 hours, and now you materially participated in your long-term rental business for 600 hours. So you materially participated in both activities. Now you can add them together. And when you add 200 plus 600, you get 800, which is more than 750. And it's assuming- Which now makes all your long-term rentals, like any losses created from your long-term rentals can now be written off because you're a qualifying real estate professional and you're materially participating. Right. So as long as you are, and you might have to make grouping elections and look at all of that with your accountant. But the point is, is that the short-term rentals could boost you over the 750-hour threshold. And as long as you're spending more time in real property trades or businesses than anywhere else, now you're a real estate professional and you've unlocked effectively, assuming you materially participate, you've unlocked the long-term rentals ability to claim losses. Yeah. For anybody out there who's faced a situation, we get questions about this all the time. It is still to this day from people in the tax smart investors community at large. Now we have clarity on this. Now, having said all of that. Having said all of that. (laughs) Now, having said all of that, I'm pretty convinced this is compelling, right? If you look at the, the code section, you, we just went through it, basically. It's it's very clear that it counts as a real property trader business. However, it does not mean you should rush out and start claiming your short-term rental hours towards the real estate professional status, because here's why. Here's why. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It does not matter what I think. You know, I'm just Tom Costelli over here. What matters is what the task court thinks. And the task court has already laid out their opinion on it. So until, until if and when... And I'm going to get to this in a second, interesting thing um, in a second, until if and when, and that's very important, the task court does rule differently on this, we're going to be left in a position of ambiguity, right? Because here you have these tax court cases that say that they don't count. Now, these tax court cases are upwards of 10 years old, over 20 years old for the first one. And this came out in 2021. There is a degree of ambiguity there, which adds risk to this position if you were to take it. And it 100% uh, adds risks. If you're listening to this, what you have to understand is that Tom, in my opinion, counts for nothing. <laughs> right, right, right. No, right. no. no. When, you're, when you're getting audited and going through that process, our opinion counts for nothing. So don't listen to this and be like, oh, well, you know, the guys on Tax Smart Investors Podcast told me that this is how it, that's it's not going to fly. It's not a good defense. All right. So you're, you're, more than welcome to hit us up with questions. You're more than welcome to bring this to your own accountant and ask them questions. But just know that you will be taking a substantial risk if you go this route, because there is authority already out there that directly contradicts this. Even though it's been recently updated, you just have to understand that you are fighting an uphill battle. A hundred percent. And while I would love to see someone go to court and battle us out and have the task court rule, otherwise, that might never happen. And we might be left in a position, perhaps intentionally by the IRS and the powers that be, of what's called a very interesting word called strategic ambiguity. 
And that is when they specifically leave it ambiguous so that there is significant risk if you were to take this position that might deter you from actually taking it. So in other words, they would just blatantly, they would be intentionally leaving it open for interpretation to deter people. But anyway, bottom line is this. There's new regulations or amended regulations that indicate that short-term rentals do count as real property trades or businesses for the purposes of Section 469C7, which is also known as the real estate professional status. And they should, should count towards the real estate professional status. However, there are task court cases that we mentioned here today that contradict that and leaving considerable risk of taking such a position until if and when a tax court case comes out that rules otherwise. So there you have it. Now, for anybody who's listening to this and wondering about risks and tax positions, I'm going to be coming out with a master class in the not too distant future for our tax smart insiders, where I'm going to be going through the risks of tax positions, because not everything is black and white, as you can see in the tax code. So we're going to be putting on a, a very interesting uh, master class on that. So uh, if you want to join the tax smart insiders community, you can join by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com slash insiders. You can get a trial and uh, you can go ahead and check it out for yourself. Again, that master class will be in there. Now, if you're looking to shortcut all of this and you're like, well, this episode just went right over my head, you just want the tax experts to tell you exactly what you can do to minimize your taxes based on your current situation, where you're looking to go in the future, we are accepting new clients. And you can request an initial consultation by going to www.therealestatecpa.com, clicking on that big orange get started button, fill out that brief form. And our team will follow up with you with next steps. So that's it for today's episode. I uh, hope everybody uh, got some value out of that. And we'll catch you next week on the TaxSmart REI podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients. And with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.